Welcome everyone to the Daredevil podcast by Fantastic Geek. We are the official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me is a guy so dedicated to the show that before we record every time, he showers in slow motion. It's Pete. Hello, Pete. Might want to eat faster, convict. Meals over in five. The Daredevil podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 303, No Good Deed, is sponsored by Mitchell Ellison Matchmakers, because no one should have to eat broccoli sausage pizza with extra cheese alone. Wow. Hitting both ends of the episode there, Pete. Well done. Speaking of the uh, the heartlessness, the heartbreak. All right. It's Wednesday, Pete. That means it's 48 hours or so away until Friday. And you know what's happened the last two night, the last two Friday nights in, in these past two Fridays? Um, half of the Marvel Netflix universe has uh, disappeared in the uh, the snapping. Yes, so let's let's cross our fingers, let's cross our hearts that uh, that over on our pop culture podcast feed, we don't need to do an emergency Saturday episode. You know, we'll be talking more Daredevil on Friday. Let's just hope that it's Daredevil and Daredevil and some more Daredevil and a little Godfriended me and not. Oh my goodness, Pete! They did it again. They took out another defender. Uh, listen, uh, Jessica Jones, it's become a meme here of, you know, uh, people coming to her door of Kilgrave whispering into her ear that she's canceled. Uh, they better not do that. Stay away from Jessica Jones. Order in the court. One more outburst and I'll hold you in contempt. Let's enter the evidence into the record and give the devil his due. The episode opens with Fisk showering in slow motion. It's everything some of you have always wanted. Flashback to Fisk being taken into his secure location at the Presidential Hotel. Thank you very much. He bids Donovan to protect Vanessa. The slick lawyer notes Fisk can't contact another fugitive. They make it to the highly protected penthouse, a spacious uptown location, if not lightly decorated. Nadim says that Fisk will offer up good intel, otherwise the deal is done. Shower done, Fisk meets with Donovan, who says Vanessa is missing. The title sequence shows that the episode is written by Sané Hoffman and directed by Jennifer Getzinger. Getzinger, a veteran of directing episodes of Outlander, Man in the High Castle, Jessica Jones, Agent Carter, and 10 episodes of Mad Men. The story resumes with Ellison hosting a homemade dinner for Karen with his wife and kid, Ellison's wife and nephew. Yeah, that's it. It's not initially clear. Oh, and Ellison is trying to get Karen and the nephew Jason together. She's annoyed, then immediately is won over by his giant PhD in literature. They also discuss dogs and if she has or had a brother. Yikes. The scene is interrupted by both reporters getting the call. Fisk is out, but Ellison is banning her from the story. Foggy and Marcy are hanging out on the couch as Foggy Bear awakens from a nightmare, though he feels like he's still living in one. Foggy sees on his phone, Fisk is out. Later, Foggy visits Blake Tower, DA, practicing his re-election speech. Foggy is willing to help with the Fisk case, but the system isn't pursuing it. D.A. Tower suggests Foggy move on to the next job, 
but Foggy reminds Tower about the deaths at Fisk's hand. Cut to a lock Fisk up protest outside the presidential hotel and Matt imagining Fisk in the crowd, talking to him about the Kingpin's victory. Fisk taunts Matt for the deaths he's left in his wake and prognosticates that Karen will end up dead too. In the background, Karen arrives and Matt leaves. The ace reporter asks about the released Fisk. Released? That's fake news. Karen asks how this is justice. Later, she's at the office and has a pitch for Allison about Fisk, or rather the other story, which points toward Fisk actually owning the hotel in which he's prisoned, by way of shell companies represented by Donovan and partners. Kazemi wanted to buy the hotel, and he was attacked for it. You know, Kazemi who was beaten two episodes ago, but she's not going to back off the story. Meanwhile, Matt listens as a delivery is made to the hotel and hears the door code. He dons a delivery jacket, ditches the shades, and sneaks in. A hop, skip, and a jump later, he's in the hotel lobby, overhearing a security check. The visage of Fisk taunts him. The prospect that Fisk may actually be helping. Later, Matt continues to wander the hotel, continuing his dialogue with the imagined Fisk. The kingpin accuses Matt of being an accomplice, since he didn't kill Fisk when he had a chance. Matt crosses paths with Dex on security detail. But Fisk isn't helping. He's just staring at the gray wall in his penthouse prison. His lawyers relate that Vanessa is all right after all, in Espana. It's not good enough for Fisk. Later, he gets fed a middling meal while Special Agent Point Dexter looks on. Fisk monologues about the debt he owes to the fallen agents, those heroes, the debt he owes the extraordinary agent and his precise skills. Dex takes Fisk's meal and walks out, and into a therapy session with a doctor who simply wants to clear him. For real, how are you, Dex? Are you feeling a compounded pressure from all of your kills? Dex lets it go with Julie, his girl, a bartender who listens. It's all so perfect, and Dex is cleared for duty. In the hospital, Nadim arrives to mourning raw fellow agents. His boss reiterates that this was the right call, even with the lousy income. Back to the hotel, rather its basement, where lawyer Donovan is in his car, surprised by the daredevil. Donovan info shares, Fisk's doing it for a woman, then he cries out for help. The FBI agents get taken out one by one with unlethal, efficient style. Though Matt beats on an agent as the visage of Fisk tells him that everyone he loves will die. At the church, Matt cleans his wounds and talks about hope, or lack thereof, with Sister Maggie. But can love redeem a monster like Fisk? And can Matt beat the monster without becoming one? In the first of a trio of endings, Dex is watching a woman close up her bar. She walks across the street to get pizza, as he silently watches through a sniper's scope. She eats her slice, and from afar, he eats his. Next, a drunken Foggy is haughtily pouting at D.A. Tower's re-election pamphlet. Matt reveals himself, but only to warn Foggy and Karen that Fisk is coming. Foggy refuses to sit on the sidelines to not fight with his friend. Still, Matt rejects him and leaves, Foggy's wallet in his hands. Lastly, the episode concludes with Fisk being told that the devil is back. Oh.
Objection, Your Honor. He's badgering the witness. Well, what do you want me to give him a testimonial dinner? Who brought the heat into Hell's Kitchen in this episode? Pete, I could start with the kingpin, but you know what? The way this episode handled, though we saw it coming, handled what is the beginning of the slow descent into madness for Dex. It was so incredibly well done. Again, even if you have the cursory knowledge that we do, I'm not a huge, you know, daredevil guy beyond the beyond the the films, but I'm getting Pete a villainous vibe off of Dex here with the way the episode, or at least the way his portion of the episode ended. Is watching a young lady eat broccoli sausage pizza with extra cheese villainous? What I like about it in terms of a writing thing is that is he breaking some sort of law? No, he's sitting there in a corner. Okay, it's a little, you know, again, from a legal sense, it's a little weird. He has this telescope sight sniper scope thing, but he's a sniper like he if he got stopped by law enforcement, the thing that would require the most explanation would be that he's eating pizza in the car. And that's what I think is so great about it, presenting a character where we need to get ready for his villainousness, though he's not villainous in this episode. The way it, the way that must have read on the paper, uh, perhaps separate from from you know whatever screen directions might have um, enhanced it, but the way Sunay Hoffman just would have put the words on the paper, he's just a guy sitting there, you know, looking through a public window into a public pizzeria, that kind of thing. The way it's acted, the way it's edited, the way the close-ups are chosen, it's those intangible elements that come together where you say, this is a profoundly messed up guy, even though the act that we see him doing is not profound. You know, I had this image when he was talking to the, uh, to the psychiatrist about, um, you know, his, his, his bartender lady friend and, and whatnot. I was like, oh no, like for some reason what popped into my head is like, this is going to be like like a dog that he beats or something like that. That was going to be like really kind of visceral. And instead Isn't it funny that every time we've had a male describe a yet unseen female, I'm thinking of the, uh, not the blacksmith character from season two, but um, the character who makes daredevils um, armor, uh, Melvin Potter, mm-hmm. um, that we immediately went to, uh, a, a dog that we went to a pet. I hope Pete, there's not, you know, we had that, we had that one listener during iron fist that accused us of having a, having a, a pea brain male existence. I hope the listener does not, you know, the listener in general does not c- conflate your point and my point. I just think well, there's I'm, this... I'm pointing it out in, in, in fairness and in full disclosure, I, we still don't know who Melvin was talking about. Um, you know, there, there's an innocence, there's a purity with which he's doing that here with uh, Special Agent Poindexter. It's done with a deviousness to get over on this psychologist to get cleared for duty after a, a shooting that day, after surviving that. The time frame on this episode is compacted. Um and there's some some discussion um, what with uh, in our last couple episodes about the background for uh, Jay Ali's character for Agent Nadim in terms of the credit checks uh, that we'll we'll hear from some listeners in a little bit. 
But um, I mean, yeah, he's not breaking the law, but it's super creepy. And well, you said, Pete, that he he offered that story up to to you know get out of of counseling or that sort of thing. While on the one hand, that's true. I think you know again, this is this is such a well written, well directed episode. Um, but I think on paper, if it was just you know like this guy is trying to you know he's tougher than these namsy pamsy mental health people and he can get over it because this is the job. All right, that reads on one level. Or if he's just outright lying, yeah, I think that's a similar kind of you know I'm just tough. But the fact that he has a relationship with Julie, there's just one problem. Julie doesn't have a relationship with him. And the piece de resistance is the pièce of broccoli on the pizza. It's the fact that they're both presumably sharing the same kind of pizza. It's just from afar. Like that's what puts it over the top in terms of this guy is leading out our villainous conversation because there's villainous, villainous intent in what we have seen so far, separate from what we might know about where the character is headed. I, can I play devil's advocate here? Although it, it makes me want to take a shower with, you know, some of the the stuff that's gone on in our culture when when people come forward and say, well, it's a dangerous time for our sons, which is just hogwash. And I'm I'm not trying to be overtly political here, but, um, you know, just to look at this from a from another side, um, he clearly is infatuated with this woman. Maybe it's a situation where he hasn't worked up the nerve to ask her out or whatever. Is, is this an intrusion? It clearly is. He follows her. He's using a, uh, a gun site to watch her eat pizza. He knows what she gets on her pizza, something that in other circumstances might be seen as thoughtful, uh, attention to detail here just weird well uh, Pete, it's thoughtful when you take the girl to the pizzeria and remember right. for next time i'm it's... just i'm just i'm just trying to i did not i'm i'm wondering if if i'm if i'm the problem matt i did not put him on our our list of uh suspects here is is that am i one of them <laughs> well pete i don't think that you're one of them but i think i mean of all the people on this villainous list, there's an argument to be made that Dex in this episode is acting the most outside of his, um, I'll say position in life. I don't mean that kind of as an elitist or classist perspective, but, you know, uh, Kingpin gonna Kingpin, Donovan gonna, you know, lawyer, kill all the lawyers, evil lawyer, Daredevil going to walk the line between the darkness and the light. Dex, FBI sharpshooter. I mean, you know what? When when the S is going down and the FBI sharpshooter team needs to show up, you know, I expect heroes are there to save the day. Heroes, to be true, many of them in the show died in the previous episode. But I don't expect this out of somebody who's here to save the day. Well, let's talk about Fisk here from the moment he begins the episode in the in the shower um, to the final frame where he's looking out at the cityscape, confident that his nemesis in Daredevil has returned. Um, 
I think it's a fair argument to say that Vincent D'Onofrio's presence has never been more uh, felt. Well, particularly since his presence overfloweth in that there's real Fisk. And then, Pete, here we are. It's 10,000 years ago. Or is it the future? Or or have we found Earth or not? You know, it's head Fisk. There's a whole presentation of Vincent D'Onofrio in this episode that that does not exist in the reality of the show. It exists in the psyche or the imagination or the warped brain of Matt Murdock. And I, I think to great effect, by the way. I mean, I've, I don't know that I've seen that exactly before, aside from Battlestar, which had its own universe and its own rules on head characters and what they were and what they were not. Um, to have the villain and the hero share the screen in episode three in this, in this story conceit way that they pull off wonderfully. Mm-hmm. I mean, Pete... Uh, uh, director Jennifer Getzinger daring to keep Vincent D'Onofrio out of focus for some of these. Yeah. It just helps sell whose head we're in. Well, so what do we call that incarnation of Fisk? Is that head Fisk? Is it fed? Is it uh, Hisk? Is it uh, headpin? I mean, what do we... What is he an angel? Like he, what, he what, is. He is in fact an angel. Congrats, you solved it. And we're all, we're they all will angels, find her, except for Starbuck, who was a goddess and 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 different, but also an angel. I mean, sorry, Ron, you you you, you really, yeah, you didn't stick the landing on that one. But anyway, enough of Battlestar Galactica uh, reboot discussion here. Um, Fisk. Whether we're talking about the actual character, whether we're talking about the projection of uh, Daredevil in his psyche, um, I love that it's in the white suit. Um, something that uh, we've already seen from the previews is coming to the actual character. So he's he's projecting in an accurate way, which kind of leads you to believe that the fisk in his head is not a villain it's it's his conscience trying to get him righted now that is an interesting statement i would have i was reading it from the perspective of matt murdoch is broken somehow and i don't mean you know from the latest beating or from midland circle just that he's he's not psychologically okay and Fisk is a manifestation of that. You are approaching it from a more objective point of view that regardless of whatever devils he might have, that this is the the angel on his shoulder telling him this is what must be done. I mean, listen, that he goes to Foggy, that he warns him, stay out of this. Tell Karen to stay out of it. You guys will try to fight it in your own way, which is only going to rain down on them. Um, something he might not be able to prevent um, or defend. And um, th- there is a turmoil. I, while we're only seeing the one side of it, there, there's a fight going on within Matt Murdock for his soul. What is he? Can he be both Matt Murdock and Daredevil? Can he continue to swear one off and, and just be the devil and kill Fisk and end it? We've seen that debate 
many, many times in superhero uh, stories. You know, you, you go too far. Um, you, you become the thing you have sworn to destroy. And then there's the parts of the story where he's blocked, that he can't get up to the uh, penthouse because Special Agent Poindexter is there harassing all of the uh, hotel guests for their key card, uh, et cetera, et cetera. You say harassing, I say enforcing. If I'm, <laughs> I would certainly be one of those people that's like, do you know when I made this uh, reservation and blah, 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 blah. Now there's this nutball here. Um, that does, of course, feed the story as we find out later. And I think that we'll discuss in our theories segment about the uh, some of the history of uh, the ownership of the hotel. But Pete, let's move on to to Mr. Ben Donovan, uh, the lawyer who <laughs> has been, I mean, you know, obviously in Luke Cage, obviously in Daredevil before. This guy gets better and better, uh, actor, uh, actor Danny Johnson. You buy him as a high-powered Manhattan attorney, and you mm-hmm. buy him as a come-from-nothing, work-his-way-up with the, you know, in, in the gray or in the dark side of crime and whatnot, and he's all of these things, which Pete probably describes most lawyers. Well, listen, to learn through Luke Cage, R.I.P., that uh, Mariah's mother, uh, that Mama Mabel had, uh, well, no, it was a grandmother, right? Mm-hmm. Mama Mabel was a grandmother, had propped him up and, you know, sent him to law school and made him the family attorney and the close association there. We've got such characterization on him that the just daredevil viewer wouldn't know. Uh, so go back, check that out. Maybe like some of our Twitter followers seem to believe Matt, if, if you yell loud enough, Luke Cage will come back. (laughs) Uh, is that like if you yell loud enough, Jeff Loeb will get fired because that's a hashtag for some reason. Oh my God. Particularly Pete, this is this episode is the best episode of Marvel television that I have seen in a long, long while. I could not believe I was well, constantly looking at the it, clock. Put on your, put on your, uh, put on your slicker for the next one is all I got to say. And, and look, this season is getting great reviews, 92, 93 on Rotten Tomatoes, something like that. But this episode just flew to a point where I was like, there really is as much as we love the other shows and, and the other characters and whatnot, there's something that needs a little bit of adjustment in the MCU TV side. I'm not saying fire Jeff Loeb, but there, something needs a little adjustment because this episode was, it moved so quickly that I could not believe. I, I don't know. I couldn't believe how much episode I was getting in whatever it was, yeah. 52 minutes. It just, it, it was an amazing experience to watch, especially compared to some of the more laborious episodes. Um, I don't mean to single anybody out. Iron Fist. I distinctly remember I paused it once and it said I had 19 minutes left and then uh, came back quick to finish it. And it finished. It went black after Fisk's uh, statement. I'm like, there's no way that was 19 minutes of screen time. It was ridiculously um, quick packed. Um, You know, we had seen the uh, sequence in the parking garage was part of – a, a series of clips they prepared for us at a New York Comic Con, and um, it's even better in context. It is, and that that's a heck of a fight. And to have the knowledge that somewhere out there, and I don't know when it is, but somewhere out there is 
the fight to be better than the season yeah. one hallway fight. Yeah. Pete, I won't say what number I heard, but I heard a number of minutes as to the length of the fight, and I don't uh, believe that it's true. I've timed it. it it's, if we're talking about uh, the number right after single digits, then it's accurate. I've I've seen it three times. I timed it the last time, and it is every bit of that, and it is astounding. Pete, it hurts me to say this. Daredevil, villain? I mean, that he goes to Foggy, that he finds Foggy, and you clearly see in the aftermath of that meeting that Matt Murdock is still there, that he's conflicted with what he just had to do. But to tell Foggy, that's it, we're done. Tell Karen, uh, we're, we're, you know, we're done, that I'm gone. And he's going to take he's he's gone full vigilante. He is going to take matters into his own hands. He's going to commit murder, um, not even with the rationale that I'm going to do this because it's right. He's going to do it because it needs to be done. The, the rightness of it is not driving him. That was a tough scene to watch. Now, not for nothing, it's the third episode of the season. Is there enough room for that to be taken back after the 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 deed is done or not done or whatever it might be? Sure, but there's a weight to it. There's a believability to it, and it 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 hammers home that this is a different Matt Murdock, somebody who does not want want to return to the world as Matt Murdock. He wants to do what the Daredevil has to do, and then dot 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 you kind of get the sense he doesn't have a plan you know we've talked about about uh you know suicide by by bum or suicide by by uh you know a, a hood beating him up you know is that part of his plan you know we'll see your honor may i approach the may i approach the bench it's time to step aside and approach the bench to discuss some off-the-record theories. You be the judge. Pete, the episode, I don't want to say leaning in, but the episode definitely building on a theory we had from last uh, from last episode that Fisk is right where he wants to be. The notion that the hotel was has been bought by a shell company that has a shell that has a shell that has a shell, and that somewhere at the center of all these shells represented by Donovan and partners is Wilson Fisk, which makes you wonder not if, but when is the penny going to drop? And the fact that they're in, you know, they're in his home turf. When is that going to hurt the FBI? Yeah, it really seems like it's something that's coming. How that could be missed when we're talking about, and we have listeners writing in to uh, confirm the nature of credit checks of FBI um, employees, of agents, that something like that, the ownership of a building wouldn't be looked into with a guy that has nefarious uh, dealings in uh, real estate in New York City would seem to be a pretty big thing to overlook. Now, that's an interesting thing that I had not considered because I was so swept up by it. Um, if enterprising best reporter ever, Karen Page, was able to suss this out in 24 hours, 36 hours, uh, it does make one 
wonder. I mean, it's damning enough to say, all right, three shell companies, okay, whatever, represented by Benjamin Donovan. Uh, yeah, that should be enough to raise a red flag. Is that all we're going to get from the story, though, that it's a whole bunch of shell companies? And I don't know, it's just Karen figured it out when the full weight of the FBI couldn't. That might, that might be what the episode asks of us. It might be what the series asks of us. Uh, I don't know that I'm crazy about that as a conclusion. Well, this coming from the real estate developer who was attacked that mm-hmm. Aaron has has forged this relationship with. Um, so real purpose for that being, I, I know we had uh, questioned a, a little bit on Mike and a little bit off in terms of what what exactly is going on there. And yes, I, we definitely had some discussion. I think most of it on Mike, maybe a little off Mike, but I, I know I had asked you like, did I miss something? Who's this lady in the hospital and, and so on and so forth? And the episode kind of backing into it as a connection. Maybe that's a way to back into the the purported unbelievability you know like it's a matter of we you know we the fbi didn't know it either because this is kind of breaking news in terms of the former owner and all that i don't know i know this pete if i get if there's an awesome moment where you know convict all of a sudden pushes the hidden uh the hidden panel or whatever and a piano drops on not fbi agent number three or some awesome kind of climax like that I'll be okay with the story conceit. What about Matt? This idea, Vanessa falsely reported first as missing, really just being moved around. We figured she was in Europe. Um, the concern that the Albanians could reach her in uh, Barcelona. What are Donovan and his partner's uh, abilities to speak to their client, I mean, yes, we we still have a system of jurisprudence in in our country where uh, a lawyer can dialogue with his client and it not be observed. They turn the cameras off at one point in this episode, but to reveal that this fugitive from the law, and yes, they're trying to get her back and cut a deal. They've cut a deal. It's I almost wish it was spelled out for us firmly at this point. Um, what is the nature of that? What are the rights issues there? What if their negotiation of a deal, though he's been let out, falls apart and they're discussing where she is and she can be scooped up by Interpol? I think that the fluid nature of it is being captured even though the particulars haven't been spelled out, you know, like he offered a little bit. So now they need to do more for him and they need to kind of make sure she's okay, but they can't because officially the deal's not done because he needs to give more and it's all in flux, including uh, coincidentally or in the flux he has created um, him ending up back in the, in the presidential uh, presidential or president hotel. I couldn't remember which it was. I know there's a president hotel for realsies in New York, but um, I think everything is so fluid, particularly post shooting that it's like the FBI may well not know exactly what the particulars are of this deal. I mean, it's 
it's nebulous enough at this point. I was just wondering from the standpoint of, well, hey, what happens here that they can talk about this, that that it's a thing. Um, but, you know, she's jet setting incognito around Europe, though she's a wanted person. I kind of just read it on a basic kind of story level as they're just kind of moving they're moving her around in the story so we know she's out there but it's not time to bring her in for her close-up but stuff is going on with her even though we don't see her and now we spent three minutes with her do you remember her great next plot point pete any more theories on your end not so much a theory but it's kind of caught fire on um, social media. So in this episode in Karen's office, which was once Ben Urich's office, there is a framed photo of a newspaper story. The headline calls out blackout cripples, New York. And I've seen at least two, I'm putting air quotes around the word stories that purport that that is a connection to agents of shield specifically the uh the fourth season um episode uprising where uh the watchdogs create a uh blackout that uh shuts down cities um that episode aired in October of 2016. It was after season two of Daredevil, although you and I had discussion at the time um, when we were doing season two that season two was actually occurring further in the future uh, than it was, that it was in the fall. Um, is that, which I've gone back, I remembered that framed uh, headline being in season two, I went back to uh, a couple season two episodes where Karen is in Ben's old office and using it. It doesn't appear there. Is that the blackout from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. thus connecting, you know, like it's all connected? Or, Matt, is that referring to the blackout from the 70s that, you know, crippled New York City? Here's the problem with everything you said, to use the, the intonation of Luke Skywalker. We are several months after the Midland Circle incident, right? Yes. So that means that if everything else is chronological, and if these shows generally drop when they are meant to be occurring, unless there's you know a special circumstance like I'm proposing for this, then we are in the winter of 2000. 17 which would have been or pardon me the the fall of 2017 january february 2018 which is to say several months after defenders so wait wait foggy and julie and uh mitch ellison and uh his wife they're not all going to disappear in dust at the end of episode 11 that's the beauty of my theory jeff Loeb has said you know they're not going to take into account the snap at this time daredevil uh, you know this season of daredevil does not need to if it takes place six seven months before um before that occurs they have plenty of story space right there in the chronology 
uh, without there being any other monkeying around or, I, I don't know, time travelers going back to the Battle of New York in the future movie, something like that. Then that your theory then makes the Netflix cancellation of Iron Fist and Luke Cage that the shows, the cast themselves are victims of the snap. They certainly could be over this way, Pete. If we hear Daredevil renewed, Jessica Jones renewed past season three, uh, Punisher renewed, but the other characters and, you know, and Netflix doesn't want to use them and Disney play doesn't want to use them. Um, yeah, that's one, st- that's one unspoken story option until you need to rework the timeline again to get them back. We've been using our enhanced senses to monitor the frequencies. Here's what you had to say. Pete, up in the Fantastic Geek penthouse, we have an email from 084. It covers episodes 1 through 4 of this season, so we're going to keep that up in the penthouse for one more episode and crack it open. Great subject line saying spoilers ahead, so mine eyes have not looked on it. What feedback do you have? Over on the Fantastic Geek Facebook page, John Stewart writes in and he says, The scene with Nadine, I think he meant Nadim, in the office makes much more sense in the context of what comes to light in later episodes. I liked it, Matt. And then, of course, I replied, Nadim! I, too, have found my fingers typing Nadine with an N and not Nadim with an M, so... Uh, an easy mistake to make and a great character when he shows up at the hospital in this episode i know he'd been in a scene or two previous but the heartache that he feels and you kind of don't stop to consider especially watching on tv you know there's bad missions all the time on special ops and csfbi and ci atp you know where you kind of stop you don't stop and think often enough hey, there's a guy or a gal who ran point on this mission and now people are hurt, people are dead. And J. Ali brings all of that in a very small amount of time and in a short scene where he's not given a ton of spotlight in the episode. Oh, for certain. Robert T. Frost also writes in Daredevil Season 3, Episodes 301 and 302. About credit checking. In my experience, a credit check has only been performed to be hired by an agency. Please remember my experience is at a local municipal level. I'm sure the FBI would do the same in its hiring process. Promotions are a different story. It is plausible that a credit check is required in the promotion process and is not prohibited by law. The FCRA only requires that an employee give written consent to the employer to obtain credit check and the employer to give written notice to the employee if their credit score results in adverse action, such as being denied a promotion. Agent Madani, and I'll take this one, Matt, isn't an FBI agent. I erroneously said that. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. She is with the Department of Homeland Security. Yes. Uh, it would be a nice crossover to see her included if she was invest if she were investigating uh, the security aspect, the Albanians of the Albanians, but she wouldn't even be taking over the FBI's case. I am really loving the show. Uh, is being filmed and presented. How the show is being filmed and presented, particularly the convoy attack sequence where it was filmed entirely from inside the overturned SUV, giving us Wilson Fisk's perspective. It really, really 
gave me the feeling of being trapped right alongside with him. Your friend, Bob. Bob keeping us aloft there with the, uh, the, the, the first responder point of view. Also some uh, cinematography thoughts there. Appreciated as always, keeping us aloft. Pete, just like our patrons on patreon.com slash fantastic geek, making sure our convoy keeps a moving. Absolutely. And that our credit checks out uh, to be able to afford all this bandwidth for all these shows. And though we've lost, we hope temporarily two shows in Iron Fist and uh, Luke Cage that we'll, we'll get some back. But uh, get yourself over to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Fantastic Geek with the P-H, all one word, today. Pete, as we and our listeners continue to break down season three of Daredevil, how can people be in touch with you? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 10,120 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast. Comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with the PH, all one word. Get in on the penthouse social media treatment today. Pete, we will be back on Friday for sure to talk the next episode of Daredevil. As I said, hopefully our pop culture podcast feed won't be back on saturday to talk a heartbreaking cancellation uh we of course will be back on sunday with more daredevil chugging through this awesome season as we are over in the pop culture podcast also have some godfriended me going on uh, along with other geeky goodness along the way in fact pete or what are we two weeks math is difficult sometimes two and a half weeks away from the next uh, star trek short trek over there so great yeah so it's coming it sure is but with that pete the time has come to end this episode so i will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word so the devil is back